0: so good to be back home and to be with you. Uh, let's look at the text and we're gonna pray and we're gonna jump right in. Let's just read the first few verses. Mark 1, uh, and following. It says, they went, that is Jesus and his disciples, out to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, but then just a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently, and came out of him with a shriek, verse 27. uh, The people were all so amazed, and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about him, Jesus, spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to know who you are. We want to see you for who you are. We want to grow in who you are, and more than that, we want to experience the greatness of who you are right in the here and in the now. And we do pray as we listen to the text tonight, we think about uh, Daniel Grigsby, who can't be with us. We think about Eric Frazier, who can't be with us. We think about so many others hurting, struggling, here and around, and we say, Jesus, speak, because your kids are listening. We need to know who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Uh, what a difference one day will make. We were in a van yesterday, a bunch of our leaders were out at a retreat in Sun River this week and we're driving back and ironically, Brooke and I are in the same van and we're driving and we're talking about Eric uh, and Caitlin because we're all running in the Hood to Coast in a couple of months and we're laughing because he's faster than everyone and better looking than everyone and more buff than everyone. You know, like, you know we're, just, we're talking about our friends, the Frasers, and then I get a text, after Brooke got a text and was at the hospital this afternoon and Brooke was there and so many have come around them. And what a difference one day will make. You just don't know. Uh, I was in the hospital visiting um, Danielle Grigsby and she's had Crohn's disease for years and suffering and she was just feeling really bad one morning and then the next, you know, like, tells her son, you gotta take me to the hospital now. And she was dehydrating and she's been in the hospital for a few weeks and her body cannot keep electrolytes. So no matter what, she's drinking constantly, but dehydrating. And what a difference one day will make. And so if you've been tracking, it's taken us like 85 weeks to get to the middle of chapter one. I think it's literally taking 11 weeks. But now we're going to go a little rapid fire. We're actually going to finish all of chapter one tonight because what Mark gives us is the call in verses uh, 16 through 20 that Jesus calls disciples. He calls followers And we took two weeks to talk about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower. But right after that, Jesus grabbed men and went on a mission. We see what Jesus did. So Mark grabs a day in the life of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. One 24-hour period in the life of Jesus to get a glimpse of what it must have been like for these brand new followers to walk with the master. And we're going to read it not just to see what Jesus did, but I want us to view it with the lens of what Jesus does. Because I want to suggest this, just like one day can be horrific and tragic and make you question what's going on, who are you, God, why me, why now? That can happen in one day. But also, if we're open to God's leading and put faith in Jesus, everything could turn around for the good in just one day. So let's look back at verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum, this is a small fishing village. i got a map here for those of you who aren't Capernaum experts. And this is the Holy Land. The Sea of Galilee is is where Jesus did a lot of his work. If you look to the, uh, if you caught Capernaum on the top of the sea, to the left and bottom is Nazareth, where Jesus is from. But we don't know why. Nazareth isn't a big deal in the Old Testament, so no one's looking for a savior from Nazareth. And Capernaum's a nowhere place in terms of the Old Testament. So Jesus is a bit of a mystery because he makes his headquarters not New York, not LA, not London, not Shanghai. He goes to a fishing village in the middle of nowhere and that's where he centers his work. This is where we think he lived when he wasn't itinerating. And we find Jesus, verse 21, it says, he went and the Sabbath came. So he's in Capernaum, he's in his hometown and he's regularly keeping Sabbath. For those of you who are new to the Bible, Uh, This is just in line with what God had ordained. There's a seventh day. There's a day of rest for the people of God. And so Jesus is in line with that. He's not bucking that. And he goes to the place of worship. Now, what's the synagogue? Uh, In the land at the time of Jesus, there's the temple in Jerusalem. And three or four times a year, all of God's people would convene on Jerusalem to worship. You did sacrifices for sin, for thanksgiving, for all sorts of stuff. You did that in Jerusalem. But all over the empire, because the Jews weren't just in the Holy Land, they were spread all over the empire. What do you do other than those four times a year? How do you worship? You can't go to Jerusalem every Saturday. And so there were these gathering places. A synagogue is simply a a Greek word for a gathering place. And it's where God's people would go. In every town and village, there would be these small synagogues. All you needed was 10 men, 13 or over, to have a synagogue. Didn't have to be big. And the services were really simple. There would be prayer. There would be the reading of scripture, of the Torah, of what we call the Old Testament. There'd be a little sermon, an explanation. And there'd be a benediction, a prayer of God's blessing. And that was it. So, no no big deal, but it was a place to gather every Sabbath to get with God's people and be encouraged by God and his scriptures. And in the synagogue, there was a ruler. Ah uh, there wasn't paid clergy, so to speak. It could a synagogue could be as simple as twenty five people, ten guys and their families, or thirty people. And so the ruler of the synagogue that was just it was the janitor and the worship leader and the everything. He just made sure that the synagogue was cared for, and during the week, you would do school for Jewish boys in synagogue. So the synagogue ruler makes sure the class is clean and people are taught and because Because Capernaum isn't a big place. It could be that it was all volunteer-led and the education was led by a traveling rabbi or a local leader. It was a loosey-goosey place for people to come and worship. And we know that synagogues were mostly taught by either lay preachers or traveling rabbis, and that's where we find Jesus. He's one of many people who would travel around from town to town and village to village and encourage God's people by reading the scriptures and by giving A sermon. And what we're going to see tonight is, as we look at the text, is there's all of these comparisons. What Mark wants to do is says, Jesus pulled out followers, and then Jesus is different. He's not any old rabbi. He's not any old teacher. He's not any old guru. Jesus is unique, and we're going to see it in this, how Jesus spends his day. Well, we see it on a Friday night, because uh, those uh, who are Jews would follow Sabbath by Friday night, as the sun goes down, to Saturday night, when the sun goes down, Jesus has these encounters. He goes on a, maybe a Saturday morning to Sabbath, and he began to teach, verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. So Jesus is different. How? He has authority, not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus has authority. Exousia is, is the word. And Mark's gonna use this nine times, six times in relation to Jesus three times in relation to Jesus' followers. For Mark, this word, which is also used of powerful demonstrations, he marks it out. Every time Mark uses the word exousia or authority, it's all about Jesus and Jesus-empowered people. Mark wants to give us a contrast. Well, who is he contrasting it about? He says, not as the teachers of the law or the scribes. What's going on at the time of Jesus? All in the first century, many people, if not most, were illiterate. So in the government, you needed scribes, official document keepers. Well, same thing happened in the Jewish community. Who's gonna make sure that the law is copied and when a new scroll is needed, that the word of God is gonna be copied correctly? It is an educated group of people called the scribes or teachers of the law. In today's society, we call them seminary profs, learned people, people with respect. And so in the time of Jesus, you would stand to the attention if a scribe were to come in in the gathering. You'd stand to the attention out of respect. There was a seat, the honored seat, that the scribe or the teacher of the law would take. This was someone worthy of following, and so you respected what a scribe or a teacher of the law said. But Mark wants to give a contrast. Hey, hey, Jesus, if you if you didn't get a chance to meet him, because remember, Mark's writing a couple of decades after Jesus is risen. So if you're a 15-year-old and you never had a chance to meet Jesus, but you know that the teachers of the law are scribes, you get a chance to contrast. And Mark says, Jesus had authority. And everyone knew that what he said had more weight. Now, why? We know that the rabbis, when they taught, they would teach by quoting other rabbis. So you'd read a verse of scripture and say, according to Rabbi Moshe, you know, or whatever, good Jewish accent. I grew up in Brooklyn, you know, and and singy songy. Rabbi Moshe says that according to the Talmud, you know, you and you you would quote Rabbi, 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 and so you say this is what the text says, and throughout the last few centuries, these godly men have interpreted. And so I tell you, this is what God says. This is what the rabbis say. Go and do the same, you know, whatever the case may be. Jesus doesn't quote the rabbis. Jesus says, this is what it says. And he teaches it with this profound authority. Jesus doesn't have to quote any scholar. He gives meaning to the text himself. And so people are amazed. Now, verse 23, just then, why are they amazed? A man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us? And I think we're saying it like nicely, you know, regular. What do a demons-possessed people sound like? You know? So I'm reading it kind of blandly. Um, but could it be like, what do you want with us? You know, like, let's read it with color. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that demons speak with a hipster accent. you like, I think, I think that demons sound like demons, right? <laughs> and I go like, Dark, recipe, you know, have you come to destroy us? I know he are, you <laughs> know, sound like a snake. <laughs> the holy one of God. And look at what Jesus does. Now if you're going to cast out a demon here's a tip right? in the first century, what many people tried to cast out evil, and so what you do is you'd come with these magical formulas, these incantations. You would, you would drum it up and you would try to speak of a higher power, to cast out the lower power. And I love it. Jesus says, "Shut up." Be quiet. Who's in charge? It's Jesus. Jesus said sternly, I love it, not so nice, Jesus, right? Jesus is nice to us, but the demons, he's rough. Because what Mark wants us to see is that there's a clashing of kingdoms. There's a kingdom of Satan and demons and evil, but there's the kingdom of God, and Jesus has come to push back darkness and reintroduce the kingdom of God through Jesus to all of the world. So he says, Be quiet come out of him and the impure pure spirit shook the man violently and it's interesting. I don't know, I've been in many settings where there have been people who have been somehow oppressed by demonic powers and there's a weird physical response. Consistently, just like in scripture, you see that people, I have seen people on the floor shaking, convulsing as men and women of God pray that demonic powers be released and when there is this sense of freedom Just like we see in the scriptures, people, you can see a change on their countenance. I I don't understand all this, but I do know that demonic and evil and the Holy Spirit and good affect even our physicality. And so the man is brought to peace. He comes out of him with a shriek. And so the people were all, and what does all mean? All. Everybody. As a matter of fact, Mark writes that with an, if you're reading in sentence order in Greek, it's about all people. Everyone was Amazed, And they said to each other, what is this, a new teaching? You see, the scribes, the the rabbis, the teachers, no one came teaching truth with power to back it up. But Jesus is unique and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits. They obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And this is the first recording of a miracle according to Mark. And what do you see, this is the beauty. It happens right in God's space, right in the synagogue, right with the gathering of God's people, Jesus shows up and what's the first miracle according to to Mark? It is the casting out of an evil demon and right in the middle of worship, there's stuff going on you don't see. Isn't that intriguing? Right here in this room, there's stuff going on we don't see. But when Jesus is present, he exposes evil, he exposes the darkness, and he sets people free. So everyone's amazed, to which I say, duh. You're in the gathering, and a man comes with a demon, and he's shrieking, you hear a demonic voice, and he's set free. You would be amazed, and I would be amazed. Tonight, as we read the rest of these encounters in this 24-hour period with Jesus, if you're a note-taker, I want you to write down five things that we need to rediscover concerning Jesus some of it's basic, but we, we all have an opinion about Jesus. Would you agree? Every one of us, we have our own view. But the beauty of looking at the scriptures is the scriptures inform our opinion. And some of us, what we think about Jesus is incomplete. Or what we think about Jesus is inaccurate. So tonight, I encourage you, let the word of God reinform your opinion about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Number one, let's state the obvious, Jesus... Is a teacher. We need to remember that. Jesus is a teacher. And so he doesn't just come to heal. As a matter of fact, what Mark does is he packages all of the miracles of Jesus in the first seven and a half chapters. So by chapter eight, you don't hear any of the wonder working of Jesus. Second half of Mark is all going to be about Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection, Jesus the sin bearer, Jesus the Savior. But in order to know what the Savior does beforehand, he packages all of these miracle stories. Now Jesus, a Mark, doesn't tell us what Jesus said because he's not interested yet in letting you know here's what Jesus has to say to you. He just wants you to know there is no more supreme teacher, no greater educator, no one else that you should listen to with authority other than Jesus. And so let me just ask you, when you are looking for good counsel to guide your life, who do you go to? And you say, well of course I go to Jesus, really? I think most of us default to just good advice. We we, we default to going to my friends. We default to going to a book. Let me just encourage you, especially if you're already a follower of Jesus, come to Jesus first with everything. My mom was so great. She encouraged us to go to Jesus first with everything. So when I couldn't find my sock, you know what my mom would say? Have you prayed about it? No lie. I'm like, no, I haven't prayed about my sock. And she would say, well, just ask the Holy Spirit. He knows where all socks are. <laughs> and um, start with socks and work your way up. So, so we see that Jesus is in the synagogue. Now, verse 29, let's just continue on. As, as soon as they left the synagogue, so Jesus moves on, maybe Saturday morning worship, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. They're all from Capernaum. Remember the other story when he called them out in the beginning of the chapter? They're all fishermen from Capernaum, from that region of Galilee, and so they go to their house. So they're going back home. Now, we do know from history, within a stone's throw of this synagogue, which the base of this synagogue was later another synagogue built on it, we think that Simon Peter's house was just a short walking distance. And uh, there's at least enough evidence that you can identify, and if you go to the Holy Land, I haven't been there. Have you been to Capernaum? Did you see Simon Peter's house? It's right there. It's right there. And so, ask Steve, he knows all things, and he can fly, and he can invest, and he can play golf. Steve Marshman does everything. And so, uh, that was a freebie. As they left the synagogue, verse 29, they went with James John and home Simon Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. They were in the synagogue, so what do they do? They're going home, Simon's mother-in-law, great time for a mother-in-law joke. I don't have one. But like it was a perfect opportunity, and they they like they go to Jesus and say, oh, you know they just saw the demon cast out. Maybe Jesus could do something for her." So Jesus went to her, verse thirty-one, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. It's the Sabbath. It's a day where you stop and you worship and you do no work. <laughs> when does Jesus' first miracle happen? on the Sabbath, I love it. Jesus is a lawbreaker? No, Jesus has authority, he knows what the laws are about. So Jesus comes and knows it's good to do good on the Sabbath, so he casts out a demon on the Sabbath and then he comes home and his good buddy, his follower, his mother-in-law is ill and he walks in and I just love it. It doesn't even say he stopped, prayed, he just picks her up, come on. You have a mission, you have something to do. You have work to do that this disease is holding you back from. Now you say fever, take two Advil and get over it, right? Well, first century, the reason, we don't know what the issue was, but a fever is a signal and a sign for something worse. So we don't know, Mark doesn't tell us what the issue was, but we knew that Jesus has authority over it, and he simply lifts her up, and she's able to do what God had called her to to do and that's why we come to God and that's why we pray and that's why we pray for Eric and that's why we pray for Danielle and that's why we pray for you because Jesus has things for you to do and there's evil in the world would you agree and there's sickness and there's all sorts of things that we we hate but we know that when sin came in Genesis 3 and broke everything it's left a wake of a mess but there's good news my friends Jesus is bigger Jesus is greater. Jesus is there, and Jesus changes things. And so tonight, no matter what you're going through, you could be like the mother-in-law, you could be like the man who who senses something wrong and doesn't realize it's real evil in his soul. Jesus lifts her up. Now, that should be the end of the story. It's the day off. Jesus should be resting. What happens? Verse 32. That evening after sunset, hey, see, we're in the Bible, uh, the people brought to Jesus all the sick what does all mean? All. And demon-possessed. Do you notice? She's sick. The man, demon-possessed. So at the end of Sabbath, Sabbath ends at the end sundown, and they're all waiting at home. I mean, they don't have text. They don't have Instagram. They don't have it all. But when you have heard in synagogue that someone's been set free, what do you do? You go home, and you wait. And you see that sun going down, and you make a beeline because we think Jesus probably lived in Peter's house, which wasn't just a house, it was a dwelling of multiple units with a courtyard in the middle where you cooked, and we think this is Jesus' very home. And so you wait, and when that sun's going down, you, you grab your friend and they bring him, let's just say it's a town of 1,500, we don't know exactly how many people, did they tell you how many were in Capernaum? Let's just say 1,500, everyone's at your house because Jesus is present, what does Jesus do? The whole town gathered at the door. Verse 34, he healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they know who he was. So Jesus isn't interested in giving airplay to the demons. Jesus is interested in setting people free. And so so we see that Jesus bursts and in 24 hours, he's in worship and he does Jesus and God's stuff and he's out there in a home and he does God's stuff and then late at night, Jesus is all about bringing God's rule, God's reign, God's authority into the lives of those people who come to him. So the formula for life in God is quite simple, come to Jesus and if you don't know Jesus, come to Jesus and if you do know Jesus, come to Jesus, and if you have a big problem, come to Jesus, and if you have a sock missing, come to Jesus. Jesus has authority over everything. So we see from day one, Jesus is healing all sorts of things. So the second thing I want us to see, again, this is basic, but it's important, is Jesus is a compassionate healer. He's there, he's willing, he's able. And sometimes we forget that. Now, I don't know what your theological bent may be and say, well, I'm not sure about all of this Jesus doing the Jesus stuff today. But it's, it's my conviction as I read the scriptures that what you see Jesus doing before Jesus goes to the cross and in the resurrection, he calls his very followers, his apostles, his disciples to do. And the Jesus dies for our sin, rises again to show us that he is alive and can give life to anyone who will follow him and then he commissions out his disciples, and all throughout the book of Acts, which is the early move, movement of Jesus, and all throughout the writings of churches and Jesus' followers, all throughout the New Testament, you see, and then even to James, if you're sick, if anyone is sick, he should come to the elders, and they should anoint them with oil and pray, and those who are sick will be made whole. And it is my thorough, deep conviction that Jesus always intended for us to enjoy God in every stage of life, all the time. Now sin breaks that up and so we experience it in part. Don't get me wrong, everyone who is sick is not made whole, would you agree? And people die all the time from all sorts of things, those who love Jesus and don't know Jesus. But you need to know the heart of God. The heart of Jesus towards you is compassion. God's attitude towards you is good and God wants to bring his kingdom into your life in fullness. So don't ever doubt Jesus' heart for you. Why does he do what he does? When does he do what he does? I don't know all the specifics and we're not given all of it, but I do know his heart. He is a compassionate healer. Uh, The third thing I want us to see is that Jesus is part of the synagogue community. He's a part of the community. What did he do his first miracle? In the synagogue. Now let's keep reading. Very early in the morning, verse 35. While it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. Uh, The phrase there could literally be translated, they went to hunt for him. Jesus just did in 24 hours all of these miracles. Now if I'm his PR man, what am I doing? I'm taking Jesus on the road, Right? Jesus has done all these wonders. I'm thinking, okay, what's the next house? What's the next town? Let's, let's more people need to know the miracle worker is here. Jesus, though, in the early morning, still dark. He's alone. He's praying. Simon and his companions hunt for him. When they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. Now, what we need to know is this. This shows up. Looking for you, people looking for Jesus, nine times. We're going to get to them as the scriptures come. Nine times you see people looking for Jesus. Every single time the people are looking for Jesus, it's with an off attitude or for some bad reason. So the disciples are not saying, We've heard the will of God. Here's what you should do. They think they know the agenda for Jesus, but where does Jesus get his agenda? From the Father. And alone, in a solitary place out in the desert by himself. He's hearing the words of the Father, and it's a good reminder to us that sometimes we think we know what we should do, but if you want to know what God has for you, then know God. And I encourage you, follower of Jesus, no matter how many good things he's doing in your life right now, we don't know what tomorrow's assignment is Make it your goal. And this is not a guilt trip. It's not rules, regulations. It's not like, oh, I missed my Monday morning time with Jesus. You must hate. me. No. But Monday is better when Jesus is at the center at the beginning of your day. And so Jesus, alone with the Father, is hearing the assignment. And what, what by the way, is the assignment? Verse uh, 38. They say, everyone's looking for you, Jesus replied. Let us go where? somewhere else. They want him to go back to Peter's house and bring more crowds, take more photos and blog, but, but Jesus knows his assignment is different. I have to go to the other towns, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Verse 39. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their where? Synagogues and doing what? Driving out demons. Mark just wants to repeat First miracle in a synagogue, Jesus' mission was to where? To synagogues. Jesus is not a rogue teacher. Jesus is not out to bring an eclectic spirituality. And what does that have to do with us? There is a subtle movement. It's very subtle, but it's, let me just say it this way, very dangerous. There's a subtle movement that says, I don't know about the church. I love Jesus. I've got the Bible, and I have an iPhone so I can podcast whomever I want and read whatever I want and I've got my Kindle account and, 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 I, and I, I know how to grow in Jesus. You know what? Let's, let's just be honest. The church sometimes is a mess and Christians are sometimes evil or mean or just broken, kind of like all of us. And so sometimes Jesus people do not do Jesus things. I'm putting it nicely. Sometimes church burns you Sometimes the people of God seemingly stab you in the back. But when Jesus walks into the synagogue, you need to know this, it's a mess too. But Jesus' mission is to the people of God. Jesus' mission is in line with God's design, and God's design has always been God's people together. Caring, being together, scripture, prayer, worship, sacrifice. So there's a subtle movement that says, me and Jesus is enough. Can I just tell you, friend, you and Jesus is never enough. We and Jesus is enough. And there's a huge distinction. So when you feel in your soul that you just wanna pull out from the Christian community, now, if someone's stabbing you in the back right there, you may need to ask some friends to help you find a new community, I get that, but for the most part, that is not the work of the Spirit of God drawing you away from the church. The Spirit of God is drawing you back to the people of God because that's where God, God's work happens. Would you agree? If not, it's true anyway. I say it in <laughs> humility. So, so Jesus is a synagogue person. Now that's, that's the end of Jesus' day, but one more thought before we go on to st- and read the rest of the chapter, because it's the day after that 24-hour period. Uh, Jesus is also living on mission at home. So we know that he's a teacher, we know that he's a compassionate healer, And we know that he's a synagogue person, but Jesus is not just, I'm gonna use modern day language, he's just not about going to church on Sunday. Although he went to synagogue on Saturday, but you get the point. Jesus is not just about like, where does Jesus stuff happen? Well, you go to church and that's where God stuff happens. No, Jesus is about moving in the gathering and moving in the scattering. Where does he do his second string of miracles? In a house. And I think this is so important to get that God wants to work in your world when we're gathered and when we're out of here. And God is as interested as the coffee shop you work in, or Intel, or Nike, or wherever. He's interested in your campus, he's interested in your neighborhood, and we should be expecting, if you're a part of a missional community, or you're part of a group of people that get together, you should expect as much God stuff to happen when there's three of you around a cup of coffee and a Bible than right here in the gathering. We ought to be hearing stories of God at work when you're together, Because Jesus is as as present in your home as he is right here. And so what an encouraging word for all of us. There is mission. Now, when I think of home, I think of chill. I love you. When I go home, I want to be by myself. (laughs) I want to be with my kids. I want to play Wii. I want to eat dinner. But you know what? When I look at the example of Jesus, he opened his home. He invites the whole town in. Now, is there time and a place for rest? Absolutely. But you know what? We shouldn't see our home as just a place to hide out. But if we're followers of Jesus, we should also see our home as a place of mission. And all sorts of good can happen right in your home. Have you considered opening your home and opening your life to the movement of Jesus? That's what we see here in the text. Well, we've kind of been running kind of fast, but before... We, we close and we go to the table. I want us to finish out the chapter because what Mark does is he adds a little addendum. So we know that Jesus' mission is in the synagogue, he's in the house, and people are transformed, demons are cast out, and then he goes to the towns and villages. So Jesus is about going everywhere. So Mark, what he does, he, he doesn't tell us the next town by name, but he gives us a sample of, of what Jesus does. Just in case you are thinking, this is like one day in the life of Jesus, but that's it. Look at verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. Uh, on the bottom of my little margin, it says, Jesus was filled with compassion, can be another rendering of it. We don't knoweth precision, because this could be translated either way. Jesus was mad, or Jesus was filled with compassion, which is like really different, right? So what's the deal? We do know by his actions, if he's mad, he's not mad at the leper. How do I know that? Because I keep reading. He reached out his hand... And he touched the man. Now, if you're mad at the leper for coming, are you gonna touch him? No. He touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, Mark uses the word immediately all the time, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Now, those of us who aren't aware of leprosy, you need to know this. It is a huge social stigma because it is a skin disease. There's all sorts of variants of leprosy. It's not one thing. But we know that he has boils on his face, We know that he may have lost limbs because of it. It is an incurable skin disorder that ironically in Leviticus 13, side road for a second, God talks about in his law what would happen when someone is healed of leprosy and then to go and see the priest and confirm the healing and then be restored to the community because this was an incurable and often contagious ailment If you had leprosy, it was your responsibility to live outside of the people of God. You couldn't come into town. And you had to dress in such a shabby state. Josephus, who is a a first century Jewish historian, says that those with leprosy looked slightly better than dead men. You You had to present yourself in such a horrible state so that no one would come too close. You had to stay within 50 paces of anyone else. You not only had an incurable disease, you were not allowed to come and worship. You couldn't come to synagogue. You couldn't come to temple. You're a part of the people of God, but you're left out. This is probably the worst thing other than death that you could have. But you need to hear this. This courageous soul with leprosy, what does he do? He breaks the rules. I love it. Sometimes, and hear this with a huge, and if you're a student or living in your house, hear this clearly. Sometimes it's okay to break the rules. Now, I'm not saying when your parents say, come in and you're like, hey, Jose says it's okay to break the rules. So No, I'm not saying that, but I am saying if you're a social outcast and everyone's kicked you out, when you realize that God is for you, press into Jesus. And so even if you feel like no one else will accept me, no one else can help me, then you can break the rule and run straight to Jesus that's what the man does, and Jesus does something unthinkable. Scribes, teachers of the law, would never touch a leper because if you touch him, you are unclean. You're not fit to teach. You're not fit to go to temple. You have to do sacrifices to cleanse yourself. But Jesus breaks those social stigmas that are not at the heart of God, and he touches this man, and immediately he is clean. And in front of all of these people, Jesus does what no one else can do. And when I think of Eric, when I think of what's going on in so many people's lives right now, it is a good reminder that things are impossible with us, but there's nothing impossible with Jesus. And I can come to him with confidence, and and what does it look like for you to be the leper and reach out for Jesus? I don't know exactly, but I do know that whatever was in his soul, whatever courage, whatever faith, you can have that too. I can have that too. I can have the same tenacity and risk and come to Jesus and ask him to do what no one else can do and he is made whole. And then it's interesting, uh, as we wrap it up, what does Jesus tell him to do? Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. Why does he give him a warning? He says, see that you don't tell this to anyone, which seems to make no sense, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Jesus knew that everyone is gonna think this is a fraud. Like, if if you don't go to the priest and do what's right, everyone's gonna say this is a hoax, but just fulfill the law. What does the guy do? Instead, he went out and, (laughs) He did what I would do. He began to blah 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 he began to talk freely, spreading the news. He wants everyone to know. And and interestingly enough, Mark gives us a commentary. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So in a weird twist of events, Jesus does God stuff, but because of this guy doesn't obey. There's a role reversal, and it's subtle. At the beginning of this, the leper is on the outside, right? And Jesus is on the inside of the town. By the end of chapter one, where is Jesus? Jesus is on the outside, and the man is on the inside. And Mark is giving us a subtle hint at the mission of Jesus. Jesus is going to come as a suffering servant Jesus is gonna be the one that's gonna be cast out. Jesus is the one who's gonna take our burden and take our sickness and take our disease. Jesus, Jesus is gonna eventually go to the cross and be on the hill outside of the city and be rejected by all and be considered a curse for all men. And we get that from day one. But Mark wants you to know early on, this is the wonder working Jesus. Now, a couple of things before we go to the table. And number four, if you're taking notes. Jesus is at mission at home. And then number five, Jesus is alone with the Father. Jesus gets his strength. Jesus gets his resolve. Jesus gets his mission from the Father. So out of the overflow of his time outside the city, away from everyone, he goes back into the city, does what God called him to do, and then he's pushed back outside of the city and we're gonna see this all throughout the Gospel of Mark. Jesus comes in and does the work, and yet, in a sense, he takes our loneliness as he pays our price. Now, before we go to the table, a couple of things so we don't get the wrong picture about the miracles of Jesus. Uh, two thoughts. Number one, uh, Jesus' miracles are more than random acts of kindness. What do I, what do I mean by that? What Jesus is doing are signposts, all of these. No one is curing leprosy. Jesus is. So for Mark and all the gospel writers, it's not that Jesus is just nice and compassionate and kind. These are the signs of Messiah. When Messiah comes, when God sent one comes, when God's deliverer comes, he comes with signs, signs of the kingdom of God. So when someone who is demon-possessed is set free, that is a sign that God's kingdom has come and pushed back the work of the enemy. When those with all sorts of diseases are healed, it's a sign. What does the kingdom of God look like? What does it mean for you and I to live under God's rule and God's reign? It means that reality changes. What can we take from that? When we live in the reality of the kingdom of God, when we live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, we are not supposed to live out ho-hum Christianity. A few meetings, a few lessons, a few thoughts, a few principles, and you go home. Following Jesus by its very nature is miraculous. When the kingdom of God comes against the kingdom of darkness, all sorts of stuff happens. So people's lives that are broken are set free. People filled with addictions are set free. People, not everyone, but often are healed. People whose mindset has been warped by thinking that is unlike god and his kingdom they're made new people's behavior changes what we should expect as the people of god is god present here and now that's why we pray for eric that's why we pray for anyone that's why we pray for you and so these are signposts that god's kingdom is coming and in his fullness all sickness all disease all evil will, will be dealt with in full, but until then, we should expect that God's kingdom comes now. And the second thing is that just because you're in church doesn't mean you've got your act together. So, you could be seated right here, right now, saying, that's them, and I get it, Jose, but you don't know what I'm going through. Here's the good news. Jesus comes to a synagogue, and there's people possessed by the devil. And if that was true then, then we know that all sorts of evil has broken in against you. But we want to pray tonight and stand with you and stand with Jesus for your freedom. So tonight, what is it that's going on in your life that's unlike God, that's unlike his son Jesus, that's not in tune with the spirit of God? What is, it could be a personal brokenness, it could be a a habit, an addiction, it could be a memory. It could be something done to you. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be financial. God is about rescuing all of my life. Let me tell you, if you smash my big toe, everything hurts. And so if my, if my bank account is empty, all of me hurts. If my marriage is breaking down, everything hurts. If I'm struggling with something I can't break free from, it affects everything. We're one united being. We're not separate pieces. We're one whole. And when there's brokenness, it spills over to everything. But tonight, Jesus is alive, amen? And he's here, and he's not just at the synagogue. He's in Hillsborough. And he's in your row, and he's at your chair. And he's full of compassion. He's indignant. He's mad at evil. But he looks at you with good tonight? Is there something broken that needs the touch of Jesus? I'm gonna ask the band to come back. We're gonna to go to the table in a minute, but before we do that, we want to pray. Don't check out. Don't Please don't do the, okay, Bible away. Think about the next thing. Right here, right now. Is there an area of brokenness that needs the touch of Jesus? Hear this. He knows it. Would you be like the leper? who who is willing to risk everything and say, I want, I want to be whole again. And would you reach out your hand towards Jesus? I'm gonna invite you to do that now. Um, As we pray, if you're here and you say, Jose, and, and it could be for anything. Look, we're not here to put the spot on anyone. I need Jesus in my own life. I need him working in my situation. But if you're here tonight, you say, Jose, I'm telling you, this has resonated with me, and would you stand with me, and would you pray, God, to move in my life? I'm gonna invite you, before we open the table, before we celebrate the victory of Jesus, we wanna pray now. God's healing touch, God's miracle-working power, God's presence, God's wholeness, God's goodness for you. And he could do it right here, right now. If that's you and you resonate with that, I'm going I'm to invite you to stand, not to put you on the spot. But the, but the leper, he steps out in faith towards Jesus. And I invite you to do that. If you're in an area of brokenness and you need God to touch you in the here and in the now, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And we're going to pray God's blessing, God's peace, God's goodness, God's touch over your world. There's nothing to be ashamed about, man. nothing to be ashamed about. As a matter of fact, it's a sign of strength in God to humble yourself and ask for prayer. It's a sign of strength, not weakness.